In the 2000s, a new face of beauty emerged that completely transformed the prevailing high fashion body and beauty paradigm. This Brazilian bombshell is leading the way in modeling with a unique vibrance. She's worked with every major designer, been on the most important magazine covers, and took home Model of the Year at the 1999 Vogue VH1 Fashion Awards. Her personality is irrepressible. Okay. Her look leaves a lasting impression. She's Giselle Bunchen. Today, Giselle's name is synonymous with supermodel. She dominated runways and magazine covers in the 2000s and expanded beyond the fashion world into the cultural landscape. Giselle changed the game for models and fashion at large, but her career began at a time when the industry wasn't quite ready for her arrival. Welcome to In Vogue, the 2000s, a podcast about the decade that ushered in a new millennium and redefined boundaries in fashion and society. Alongside fashion leaders, cultural icons, and Vogue's editorial team, we'll dissect the decade's most impactful style moments and how they've shaped our culture today. I'm Anna Winter. And I'm your host, Hamish Bowles. Modeling came into my life, and it was always, to me, a business. The only aspiration that I had was to be a volleyball player. You know, I never wanted to become a model. It wasn't a dream of mine. It was like an opportunity showed up. I saw it as a way of helping my family and was like, let me try out. Giselle coming into the modeling scene in the late 90s meant that those booking jobs around her had an entirely different look from what she offered. Whereas most high fashion models at the time were delicately boned, embodying a look then dubbed heroin chic, Giselle's athletic figure embodied strength. Most casting directors at first didn't know what to do with her. Girls were very like, they were called like the wave models. Girls had piercings and tattoos. It wasn't really what I looked like, right? The 90s were about waifs. Kate Moss being the prime example of the waifs, but you had Amber Valletta, you had Shalom Harlow as well. Here's Nicole Phelps, Vogue Runway's global director. A whole class of Belgians uh, who were very, very petite. And uh, Giselle Bunchen was from Brazil, very, very tall. And she wasn't flat chested like a lot of uh, models were in the 90s. And she was sexy in what people would compare to an old fashioned pinup girl. This is obviously just compared to the waifs of the 90s. She was still very lean and very fit. Remember, I'm a volleyball player. I'm like healthy. I'm like a nature girl and an athletic girl. It was like I looked around me and like I literally felt like a Nietzsche. I was like, holy cow, like wow. Fashion just had a very, very narrow definition of what beauty was pre-Giselle. And I mean that you know, in the literal sense also, narrow meaning thin and skinny. She looked different to fashion's eye. Giselle, as a young model trying to break into the industry abroad, had a difficult time proving to casting directors that she belonged. I think, you know, for a young model to have had a big season, you have to be in most of the cities. 
I went to London in the late 90s, like 97, 98. The shows used to be London first, then Milan, then Paris, less New York. The competition to book shows was cutthroat, and designers and casting directors were still looking for models who embodied the waif aesthetic. Went to 42 castings. People wouldn't even look at my face. They would just look at my pictures and they would just say, thank you very much. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing here because they don't even look at me. They just kept saying no and no. London in particular was an important hub for both models and designers. The late 90s and the early 2000s was a period of incredible creativity in London. You had seen the arrival and explosion of designers like Galliano and Alexander McQueen in the mid-90s, and they were really ruling Paris. I went to the Alexander McQueen casting and put me on the skirt. They put me on these shoes that I could barely keep my knees straight, and he just said, walk, right? And then I walked for him, and then I got booked for the show. The same features that made it difficult for Giselle to break into high fashion, the differences between her and the typical runway model of the time, were the very reasons that she was able to stand out once she was cast. She had people talking, and they were interested in the new look Giselle had to offer. The 1998 spring-summer Alexander McQueen show set her on the path to becoming one of the biggest models of the 2000s. Alexander McQueen was, I would say, the person who gave me a chance, you know, when no one else would. He took a bet on me. So my career started on the runway. That was the first season. And then after that, I was doing, you know, every show that you can imagine. Suddenly you saw a wave of Brazilian models coming up through the ranks uh, who were sort of, you know, built in, in her mold, curvier than the waves that preceded them. Photographed by Stephen Meisel, Giselle's first American Vogue cover was July 1999's the Return of the Sexy Model. It featured the high-impact story, The Return of the Curve, photographed by Irving Penn and written by Philip Weiss. It was Vogue's declaration, the end of the reign of the waif. It marked a significant shift of the times. I couldn't think of a more important and meaningful image in my career because that was the shift. That was like the hair-in-chic end of that era, and it was the beginning of a new one. Here's Vogue editor Nicole Phelps. The irony of Giselle being put on the cover of a curve issue is that she was just as thin as the waifs that preceded her, but she was tall, she had breasts, she had a derriere, and that made her different enough to signify this idea of of curves. I think the the idea of beauty and fashion's ideal of beauty, both in magazines and on the runway, was extremely restrictive in in all ways, in terms of race, body type. This is Led Borelli Person, Vogue's archive editor. A very thin figure, almost flat, almost androgynous, was what we usually saw on the runway. And often the models were very young because their bodies were still, they were still growing. So Giselle, she was more womanly looking, I think. I mean, looking back, it seems really, really silly, but she she just felt more comfortable in her skin, more mature and just complete in herself. I think a lot of the times we were faced with models that were in the process of becoming, but Giselle felt like she arrived sort of fully formed, a person and a personality 
comfortable in her skin. I think when you when you are born in in a country like Brazil, where you know it is the sun and the freedom of kind of feeling comfortable in your own skin, you know, and I think it's part of our culture to be to bring in more more that sensitivity and affection and 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 really freedom in a way, like being free to be authentically who we are. This is Vogue editor Tony Goodman. Well, I think that we went through a period of fragility and a, a vulnerability to the model, you know, still very impressive, a lot of attitude, but definitely a fragility. You know, grunge came in and made a major impact, stopped everybody in their tracks, gave them a, a, an opportunity to view um, exposing themselves and presenting themselves in a different way via fashion. When when Giselle came in, there was yet another opportunity. All of these girls had bodies, they were athletic, they could do anything. They were fearless. Um, and I think that it, it, they kind of go hand in hand, that um, the editors were looking for clothes that would fit them the best and suit the story the best and take advantage of them the best. The distribution of the July 1999 cover story featuring Giselle not only represented a shift in beauty standards at the time, it also ignited a new interest in Vogue by a brand new demographic of readers. Giselle was not just for fashion aficionados. This is Ivan Shaw, the corporate photography director for Condé Nast. You could put her on the newsstand and a lot of different people might be interested in that magazine. There was a theory going around during that time about adjacent audiences and sort of putting people on the covers that would not only bring in the Vogue reader, but bring other people who might be interested in from that person or those things. So I, I think that she just had a very broad appeal. She was a, like, she could be a star and a celebrity. She became a celebrity. The return of the sexy model cover for Vogue was resonant for Giselle on a personal level as well. I shot the cover when I was 18 and when it came out, I think I was 19. It was actually my birthday. I never forget because it was July. So I was like, this is the biggest gift ever. I can't believe it. I'm in the cover of America Vogue. So when I started modeling, they were like, your nose is too big, your eyes is too small, and you're never going to be in the cover of a magazine. That was a woman uh, from Elle magazine in Brazil when I was 14 and did casting. She told that to my face. So I still had the same nose and the same everything, my same eyes. I mean, I was just the same person. I always had that kind of trauma in my head that I wasn't worldly, that I wasn't pretty enough. So for me to be considered the return of the curve, and this is what's going to be now, I felt like, oh my God. Giselle's December 1999 Vogue cover solidified the strong, energetic look that was now in Vogue. No, I had trepidation. I was, you know, this is my first cover. It was a big cover. It was Giselle. It was the Christmas cover. As a brand new hire at Vogue, Tony had everything to prove in styling her first cover for Vogue, especially in working with the biggest model of the moment. I had worked with her, of course, before at Harper's Bazaar, so I did know her. It was with Stephen Mizell and Pat McGrath did the makeup. Jimmy Paul did the hair and she was wearing... Dolce Gabbana that was totally covered with Swarovski crystals. So it was a very special festive cover for December. We did this at Pier 59, I believe, you know, perched on a platform so that you could get a clear view of the sky. But you can tell right from the photograph that Giselle is totally engaged. She's full of spirit. She's full of optimism. 
and she's um, not intimidating. She's with you all the way, and it's charming. The familiarity of having her with me for my first cover was very, very reassuring. And, you know, it was it was a bit of a, a test, I guess. And in the end, it did go very well. I mean, it's exactly what Anna was looking for, I think, for a December issue. Yeah, I mean, I think where Giselle has always stood out is that she was always Giselle. She always was a larger-than-life personality. There were girls that would appear in our pages or appear in... Uh, advertising campaigns that were much more anonymous in the way that they appeared to the world. And, and Giselle, there was always the hair, there was the amazing way that she carried clothes. I think that her enthusiasm and her, you know, very, very authentic, candid response to the life around her, what was happening from the hair and makeup application to trying on the clothes to feeling out the location. All of those things were so vital coming from Giselle that she was an amazing partner to work with. And of course, the beauty was, you know, goes without saying. Giselle's star was only just beginning to rise. Suddenly, she was faced with more mainstream opportunities that some models might have felt were at conflict with a high fashion image. After the break, hear how Giselle responded to a call to walk in one of the most notable fashion shows of the decade that was then just starting out. Hey, Run-Through listeners, are you curious about what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue and in the world of fashion? Join Vogue Club, a -a one-of-a-kind fashion community where you can unlock exclusive access to Vogue editors, industry players, and fellow members, as well as receive expert style advice, tickets to VIP events, hand-picked gifts, and so much more. Visit VogueClub.com today and get 20% off using promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. That's VogueClub.com, promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. In 1995, Victoria's Secret decided to stage a yearly fashion show. In the late 90s, Victoria's Secret started to hire supermodels for their ad campaigns and fashion shows to broaden their audience. Giselle was among the first of the newly christened Angels to walk the 1999 runway, which marked a major turning point for the brand and for fashion models dipping their toes into more commercial work. When my agent called me and said, hey, Victoria's Secret wants you to do a fashion show did. I was like, what? A lingerie? Like, I'm going to be walking around in lingerie? I was like, that's a little weird. So I was like, okay, I guess it's fine because every girl that I do shows with, they're all in the show. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go. And that was the first fashion show I did for them. After that show, they wanted to give me a five-year contract. And my agent told me, she says, look, if you take this catalog job, which is going to pay a lot of money, you might never be a fashion model again because you couldn't mix, you know, there was the girls who did Victoria's Secret and the girls that did fashion. When Giselle got this Victoria's Secret offer, the runways still were quite very narrowly uh, populated by uh, very skinny, wafy types. A lot of the models who were walking those early Victoria's Secret runways were 
curvier than the typical high fashion runway model. And I think probably rightfully so. Giselle and her agent were worried that she would be associated with those curvy girls who weren't seen on the high fashion runways. Of course, Marc Jacobs, Dolce & Gabbana, Tom Ford at Gucci proved their worries wrong because everyone hired her to walk the high fashion runways. I thought about it for a second. I said, I don't really care because if I never do fashion again, I'm going to come back home in five years with all this money and I never have to work. I mean, it sounds fine by me because, you know, you can work in fashion forever. There is like only five top girls make money. Nobody else makes money. So even though I was doing a million shows and stuff, It wasn't even like 5% what they were offering me to make in a year. That was the biggest contract ever, you know? She made her millions from Victoria's Secret. And on the high fashion runways, she redefined the look of models in the 2000s. Finally, the runways look more diverse and more inclusive. They still have long ways to go, but uh, to look at runways today versus in the early 2000s when Giselle was coming up is to see two very, very different ideas of beauty. In refusing to be pinned down to one type of modeling, Giselle took a risk that paid off and pushed the boundaries for top models everywhere. Here's Nicole Phelps. I think that Giselle actually, she's sort of the hinge that made the fashion industry pay attention to Victoria's Secret. I really think that a fashion show and a Victoria's Secret show were designed for two completely different audiences. I think that fashion fetishizes the female gaze. And you know, a lot of people who are obsessed with fashion are not dressing for a love interest think the old-fashioned way to say that would have been, you know, the opposite sex, but they are dressing for their peers and their competitors and women dress for women, whereas Victoria's Secret Show was designed by men and very much designed to satisfy and titillate the, the male gaze. But in any case, Giselle quickly became the, the star of the Victoria's Secret Show. Simultaneously, she was turning into a fashion star. And she, I think, really was the first model who who really was the biggest thing on in both places. She was the biggest star for Victoria's Secret. She was also a huge runway star, a huge high fashion star. And the fact that she managed to, to do both of those things comes down to her star power, comes down to just how much everybody was attracted to her and and loved her as a as a model. Giselle would go on to stake her claim on runways across the world. The 5 foot 11 Brazilian bombshell quickly became famous for her signature runway walk. Here's Anna Winter. I feel like there was always a joy to Giselle that you felt on the runway. What made Giselle Giselle was that in front of the camera and on the runway, she was herself. And and let me tell you, I wasn't thinking about slaying the runway and I wasn't thinking about finding a signature walk or anything. It was purely the only way I knew how to walk with those shoes. It was a a way of balancing myself. (laughs) And that's simply what it was. I was a size seven. You know, I'm 5'11". So as you can imagine... 5'11 with a seven size feet is not really, it's, I'm super tall. You have to remember the shoes we wear on the runway are not the shoes you buy at the store. They're way bigger. They're like super tall. Like you can barely keep your knees straight. So that was the way I found to walk. 
Like, it was just the only way that was possible to walk in those shoes. Her walk may have originated from the simple need of making it down the runway without toppling over, but it worked. Paired with her signature charm and unmistakable charisma, Giselle landed opportunities to open and close major shows in the 2000s. Here's Vogue editor Nicole Phelps. Everybody wanted Giselle to open their shows. Some models could go their whole career probably and never open or close a show. It's usually the spot for the model who a designer thinks best evokes their aesthetic. Usually the first look and the last look are the best and the second best, depending on what order, looks in the collection or the strongest, the most directional looks. And so models really sort of fight and jockey for those spots. And, you know, Giselle, you know, name a show and she, and they could all be really different and she would be opening and closing all of them during her her big years. She could walk a Marc Jacobs show, which is about downtown, edgy New York cool, or she could walk at Tom Ford's Gucci and be voluptuous and sexy and on down the line. I think of Dolce & Gabbana as a label that she was sort of born to do. And she opened a lot of Dolce & Gabbana shows in the 2000s and probably closed them too. I definitely probably open the show of every major designer everywhere. And I have to say, it wasn't my preference because I felt like, oh my God, I'm the first one out there. So if I screw it up, like everyone is looking at me. I was like, I'd rather be like in the middle, but it was an honor. So I was very grateful that they put me on that position, but it was not very comfortable for me. Conquering the pressure of the runway fortified Giselle's self-assurance that she belonged there even in the moments when she had doubts. Tadros coming and going, and I felt like, when is it going to be my turn? When is it going to be the end for me, right? Because one season you saw a girl, the next season you never saw them again. So it's a very volatile, like, you know, it's not like a long-lasting career for most, I would say, 99% of the people. Here's Vogue editor Nicole Phelps again. Models' careers are are typically quite short, and what could end a model's career? That's just sort of like one word, fashion. You know, fashion is about change. Fashion is about evolution and the search for the new and designers, hire casting directors who find new faces. And the sort of search for a new face is, is ongoing and very, very strong. And so new faces replace old faces. And it's just sort of the way of the business. But again, she was really versatile and uh, she was beloved by designers across the spectrum and cut just as strong a figure at a Balenciaga show by Nicola Gesquier with very little hair and no makeup as she did at any of the more sort of obviously Giselle-like collections. I think she she really seemed to love what she was doing and often you had more introverted girls out there and, you know, you sort of saw Giselle and you smiled because she was herself having such a good time. After conquering the runway, Giselle looked beyond the flashing camera bulbs to discover new creative passions. 
that's what is so exciting about life is taking chances and doing different things you know i was kind of missing a little bit that cold in the stomach that you get you know from um doing something new the nerves yes i love that you know just having a little cold in your stomach and just being excited about something you know it was Giselle's versatility and fun-loving nature that led her from the cover of Vogue magazine to cameos on the big screen. On the ground now! In this skirt? I don't think so. I have no idea why Miranda hired her. <laughs> Me neither. The other day we were in the beauty department yeah. and she held up the swimwear eyelash curler and said, what is this? <laughs> and to the late night talk show scene. Please welcome Giselle, ladies and gentlemen. Our next guest has been called the most beautiful woman in the world. Please welcome the very lovely Victoria's Secret supermodel, Giselle Bündchen. My first guest is one of the most beautiful women in the world, straight from the pages of Victoria's Secret. Please welcome Giselle Bündchen. You went to Boston not too long ago. Was it hometown? Yeah, and you went to a Red Sox game, and you threw out the first pitch. What yes, was that like? I did a home run with my troll. <laughs> yeah, I had a hot dog before I leave, though, because they have amazing hot dogs in that, in that stadium. They I have, have good say. hot dogs. Yes. Giselle became more than a fashion icon, championing humanitarian efforts. It's like we don't have another earth, you know, this is, we are all sharing, in the end of the day, we are all sharing the same air, you know, the same water, the same natural resources, the natural resources are finite, you know, you can just keep taking, taking and thinking that it's going to be here forever, you know, and obviously I want my children to grow up, not only for my children, but for the survival of human yeah. species, quite frankly. That's important, yeah. Yeah. I think that, that, I'm with that. That. Actually, in Costa Rica, she was starting to work on a skincare line that was completely organic. She embraced that totally. And I think part of that is coming from Brazil and being, you know, intrinsic with nature. And the Brazilians have a relationship with nature, I think, that is very evident. But since then, she has been a huge champion of environmental causes. I always was, was this very simple girl from a small town that loves her family and loves nature. I mean, and that's kind of, you know, you can take the girl out of that, but you can never take that out of the girl. I think Giselle just innately is a very, very good person that is genuinely curious about life and genuinely curious about the planet and its health and human beings' health. Fashion photographer Inez van Lamsveerd has had a front row seat to Giselle's powerful spirit, both on and off camera. I think Giselle's kind of second generation supermodel and what she's given us with that is this idea of owning your sexuality, owning everything that comes with looking incredible and using it to actually change people's life. And I think that's one of her major strengths is that she's actually taken cue from someone like Chrissy Turlington, who's also used her notoriety and, and platform to change the world. And I think Giselle's of the same kind, except she had a much bigger platform just because she was so unapologetically sexy and vibrant. As Giselle continued on her path to self-fulfillment, she fell in love with NFL superstar Tom Brady, creating a new celebrity power couple. Blind date was actually Tom, and I was like, this is, that's it, I'm not going anymore blind dates, and I figured let's meet for a drink. But you know, when I saw those kind eyes, I was, 
I literally fall in love like right away. I was like, what? I mean, he was just so, you know, how she, sweet he is. She really took on the mantle of the supermodel and, and lived it and dressed it and married Tom Brady. I mean, she was a complete package. I mean, I guess what you could say is that in the early 2000s, when Giselle emerged as a very successful high fashion model, she looked different than your typical high fashion model of the years that preceded her. And thanks to her success, maybe fashion started opening its eyes a little bit more and a little bit more. And 15 years later, Finally, there's room for the Ashley Grahams and Paloma Elsessors of the world. Giselle Bündchen's rise to stardom forever changed the fashion world. She became bigger than the runway and larger than life. Her legacy continues to echo throughout the entertainment industry. Giselle was so successful and so highly paid and so recognizable beyond the confines of the high fashion world that I think a lot of opportunities came to her, but she also had a, she had a lot of passions. And when a model gets that big, the opportunities to diversify and to endorse products start multiplying. And when that started happening for her, she, she chose yoga or she chose natural beauty at a time when those things were really just starting to catch on in the larger culture. And so she became sort of an avatar for a healthy yoga lifestyle and an avatar for clean beauty. And because women like look at her and want to be her, she was really successful at it and those things became more more popular thanks to her endorsement of them. And now you can go and watch videos about their clean diets and the, the personal chefs. And I mean, you can't really resist watching them because of course, <laughs> everybody secretly would like to be Giselle. If you can't be Giselle, catching a glimpse of her in the wild is an unforgettable vision. Here is Andrew Bolton. I remember we went towards the, the Greek and Roman galleries and, and Giselle and Tom Brady just walked past and they were more beautiful and more present than any of the Greek and Roman statues present there. It was just extraordinary seeing these two remarkable specimens of human beauty in the Greek and Roman galleries. It's just extraordinary. That was Andrew Bolton, the head curator of the Metropolitan Museum of Art's Costume Institute. You'll hear more of him and more behind-the-scenes stories and history of the Met Gala in our next episode. Stay tuned. In Vogue, the 2000s, is presented by Anna Winter, produced by Vogue in partnership with Pod People. Production support by Jacqueline Jamjoom, Tony Mantia, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Madison Lusby, Frida Lucas, Marie McCoy-Thompson, Morgan Foose, Mariah Dennis, 
Daniel Brunel, Gordon Bramley, Nikki Stein, Persia Verlin, Stephanie Bichara. Theme music composed by DJ Ghost Dad. Vogue's editorial team is Laird Borelli Person, Mark Holgate, Nicole Phelps, and myself, Hamish Bowles. Special thanks to Vogue's creative editorial director, Mark Guiducci, VP of digital video programming and development, Robert Semmer, VP of audio, Julie Shen, and director of podcasts, Nico Steele. Please do subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information, incredible imagery, and episode references in the show notes or at vogue.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Hamish Bowles. Until next week, in Vogue. Hey, Run Through listeners. Are you curious about what goes on behind the scenes at Vogue and in the world of fashion? Join Vogue Club, a one-of-a-kind fashion community where you can unlock exclusive access to Vogue editors, industry players, and fellow members, as well as receive expert style advice, tickets to VIP events, handpicked gifts, and so much more. Visit VogueClub.com today and get 20% off using promo code THERUNTHROUGH20. That's VogueClub.com, promo code THERUNTHROUGH20.